This is Kyle Hartung from Jobs for the Future, or JFF, and this is the Building Equitable Pathways podcast. In this series, leaders from across the country working at the intersection of K-12 education, post-secondary education and training, and workforce development will share their insights and perspectives, grounded in practice, to shed light on the why and the how of identifying and dismantling inequitable structural and systemic barriers to improve educational and career outcomes for youth. We talk a lot on this podcast about the need and urgency for change. But what does that look and even feel like when you are trying to embark on something completely new? And when we're talking about doing something new, something that requires new types of collaboration among educators and employers, what does that look like in the context of impacting racial equity in our education and workforce programming in the United States? On this podcast, we usually talk with individuals who work at intermediary organizations. But today, we're also joined by guests who partner with an intermediary organization who will help us take a look at how employers and educators experience and champion this work through partnership and collaboration. Hello, my name is Mark Tapey, and I am the Senior Talent Management Manager at Pinnacle Assurance. Hi, my name is Emily Takimoto. I manage launch internships and youth apprenticeships with Denver Public Schools Career Development Team. Greetings. My name is Obina Anyali. I am the director of K-12 Partnerships for CareerWise Colorado. Obina, I'm hoping you can help us set the stage here. So CareerWise is working with partners to support and encourage the adoption of modern youth apprenticeship, a rigorous and advanced model of work-based learning. What's interesting in your work is that you're mobilizing people around an idea, a model, in some ways a value proposition for how and when youth learn about the world of work that for all intents and purposes has been around for a very long time. Can you tell us about what apprenticeship means to you and the role that apprenticeship plays in advancing a vision for equity-centered pathway systems? I think for me, there's true power to apprenticeships. At the end of the day, the heart of it is giving and providing access to students who may not have had access before and are looking and seeking for opportunities to create a lifestyle and a life for themselves. And I think um, apprenticeship has the opportunity to instill some of that learning sooner rather than later. Because, you know, starting in high school and connecting with students who are interested in pathways from IT to business to advanced manufacturing to maintenance technology, um, even to nursing. So students who were just like, oh, wait a minute, I've, I've always wanted to do this, but I'm not sure if I want to go to college next. I'm not sure if that's the right path for me, but I know that I want to work. I know I want to do something in this field. What is there for me? We're establishing a tried and true way to prepare for modern occupations for these students. Within the two to three year training program that is apprenticeships, it fully prepares those students to be market ready in a sense, ready to compete and to do the job like their peers or somebody who's older than them themselves. You know, it's highly structured, definitely in terms of the training piece, like I said, and off the job as well. So again, it just gives an opportunity to focus and see a different pathway for a life pathway, if anything else, for a young individual that's working with DP, not just DPS, but high school districts, and working with organizations and businesses like Pinnacle, I think they give us that opportunity to funnel and create a pipeline. Thank you for that. So, Mark, you're working with CareerWise in Denver. For you, can you talk about, for you and, and for Pinnacle, you know, hearing about this for the first time, what was compelling? And on the other side of that, 
What was a little bit scary as you thought about taking on and adopting a partnership that would really welcome young people into the workplace in a truly new way? Yeah, actually, the exposure to the career-wise and youth apprenticeship model actually predates my time at Pinnacle because I was brought on to help enact this vision. But really, the genesis of it was our organization was facing a workforce demographic challenge, most specifically looking at our age demographics and seeing that we were an aging organization in an aging industry that was really lacking this next generation workforce. It's not a surprise to anyone that most young people don't necessarily aspire to go into insurance, but we know that there are incredible middle skills, sustainable careers in this space. And we've been a top workforce for a long time. But we were really seeking a mechanism to help drive interest in participation in our workforce. Our CEO at the time was invited to go visit Switzerland to see what youth apprenticeship looked like there. And I think what he saw was not only the business implications and how there was this prospective system that could solve some of the challenges that we were looking at at Pinnacle, but also some of the societal and educational implications too, because they really had a system that was ensuring that young people were building a really healthy economic foundation to launch from into careers and make informed choices. And so, you know, he came back with a lot of excitement around that. And so I was brought on. So I was very excited about that to get what has turned out to be very much a dream job in a lot of respects to help launch and implement this model what we've seen as students have been able to apply their learning is that there's a positive feedback loop between what they do at work and what they do in the classroom and how those support one another. And our apprentices grow in both domains. And so that is incredibly exciting as a professional, as a former educator. But I think, so the second half of your question, it was very scary. It has been very scary. This is all brand new. We launched with 23 apprentices out of the gate. It's been a learning journey and there's been bumps in the road here and there, but we want to make sure we're doing right. We're doing justice, uh, not only for our organization, but most importantly for our young people too. Yeah, we've got two of the three pieces of our puzzle here today, right? And already talking about, you know, how do we fulfill this promise of really bringing together an academic, a technical and a work-based component to really cast a bright light on what is possible for young people as we think about the black box of the working world. So the third leg of this partnership stool, Emily, if I could bring you into this conversation, what about your perspective and the perspective of Denver Public Schools uh, joining into this partnership? What was the compelling piece about this? What was the argument that you were needed to make? And what were some of those scary moments when you had to really reorient your relationship with young people and learning to get uh, the buy-in that you needed to start this partnership? Yeah, I just want to echo Mark's language in terms of a journey. It's been a big journey for all of us. And I remember talking to my assistant principal at the time, like, hey, we're going to go into this classroom and we're going to talk about this new apprenticeship program. And I'm like, this sounds really great, but I didn't really realize everything to come after that. One, you know, trying to talk to high school students about a two to three year program. They're like, what? that's not me. That doesn't fit into like my vision or I don't know what I'm doing next week, let alone, you know, three years from now. And I'll say that similar language in terms of talking to adults and staff in the building 
They're like, well, you know, we have this whole idea about we are preparing students to go to college, to be successful in college, to apply to college. So just the cultural and language shift, it really takes a team of people that want to think differently and really embrace the unknown. We were kind of going into uncharted territories. And like Opina said, it's not new to the rest of the world, but it is definitely new here. Um, and it's new to the educational system kind of as it has been for many, many years. It was difficult talking to students, but sometimes it is more difficult talking to adults about what really, you know, shifting, being more innovative. We tell our students all the time, take that risk. And sometimes we as adults are not willing to do that same thing. In that first year, I remember getting like over 20 students at one school to do an apprenticeship. There were students that really took it and ran with it. They took that risk. They took the opportunity. They were encouraged and their experience has spoke for themselves. And so now when we really are building this program and when I go back to thinking about like, why do we do this program? It's because I've seen really what it has, what it can become for students, for, you know, their personal lives, for their families, just for their educational trajectory. Um, and that's something, you know, we're really excited about. Emily, while doing this work felt new, the, this idea is not a new one. Um, you recognized and you, you valued that this was a critical type of opportunity and experience for young people to have in the workplace, right? Not simulating a work environment in the school context. But I want to go back to something you said earlier. There's the caring adults in young people's lives. There's, there's those in the school building. There's the support structure in the school district. And there's care providers, right? There's the adults at home and in students' lives outside of school. Can you talk a little bit about how you built buy-in with and among them or in partnership with them? Or how did you build the buy-in among the adults surrounding young people that this was a, a, good, a good way to go? Sure. So we, and, and Mark Nobino will also speak more to this, but really talking to them about, you know, what is the current state that we are in in terms of success rates of our students when they graduate high school to when they finish the first semester of college to when they actually obtain a four-year bachelor's degree. Like just the raw data, what does that look like in Denver and in Colorado for our youth? And kind of giving that a little bit of a reality check to us. I really talked to staff about we have to be able to embrace and kind of own different ways of providing opportunities and increasing accessibility for students to get into the workforce and to create a plan for them that works with their schedule and that makes sense to them. So I would say that's that's the main thing. And then again, having students actually come back and talk to them has been by far the most successful. Mark, what about the employer role in this? From your experience and what have you learned over time about building buy-in, the employer's role in helping to build a narrative around why this is important and why employers should be participating in this as opposed to just waiting until students have finished their education, wherever that takes them to, and then scooping up the talent. Certainly. And I have to acknowledge, I think there were some prerequisites in our ecosystem that really set us up for success. One was that leadership buy-in from the top down, knowing that this was something that our executive level leadership team believed in and had a great sense of, again, not just for Pinnacle, but for the ramifications for the broader workforce. And so I think to Emily's point, 
thinking about really helping our key stakeholders within the business understand the implications of this work, both for Pinnacle and beyond Pinnacle, and helping to see kind of the reality of the circumstances here in Denver and in Colorado, where we know that we're lacking uh, representation and equitable pathways for many of our young people. We know that our investments in education are some of the lowest in the nation. And that ultimately, as a business, we're reliant upon quality talent. And so just from a business-centric standpoint, if we're not going to make the investments in creating that next generation workforce that we know that we need to thrive as an organization, we're going to slide back and we're not going to be able to uphold the type of support that we hope to provide through our, our workforce, you know, our, our mission and, and what we do on a day-to-day basis. So really painting the picture that this is as much a strategic initiative as it is, you know, supporting our community. And it's something that we really need to take seriously because ultimately we will inherit our investment or lack thereof. And I think that really resonated with staff and what it looked like in practice was literally our team going team by team around the business and presenting this value proposition and what we were hoping to do to kind of galvanize momentum around that. And now we're at a place Our problem now is we have more staff members knocking on the door saying, hey, we want an apprentice. Then we have apprentices to fill roles. It's a great problem to have. Obina, and so as we think about the role of an intermediary organization like CareerWise in this conversation, how are you helping to broker conversations among employers and educators to to kind of get this narrative right and to build this broader collective buy-in among the employer community, right? So context matters, right? So could you talk about how you help to broker and support uh, these relationships so that they can really thrive and take root. Yeah, definitely. I think you kind of hit on the head initially in terms of the context. So what we've had to realize is that we need to, as Mark said, into the, in terms of ecosystems, we need to fit into their ecosystem. What programs already exist could be a district or it could even be the business and seeing what are you all doing already? Do you already have the mindset of, hey, you know what? We are looking to create a different type of pipeline than what we have now because we're realizing that it's not as strong or it's dwindling. And so that's what kind of it is. It's like, okay, well, do you have programs already in place? Or as Mark was saying, it's like we already have people that are so into the opportunity to bring in young people. Not sure how to do it, but they're interested in doing it. And I think that's what the apprenticeship does. And we speak to them and say, hey, listen, because we have in CareerWise, we have apprentices who have done phenomenal and they now work with the organization. So it is, it's bringing in that student word. I think it's something that's really important, especially new businesses. It's building and, you know, working from the inside, not the outside and, you know, working with them consistently and understanding how do they work? What do they really need? What do they need to feel successful? And it's not just the businesses, it's also the districts as well. Because even within one district, you may have 10 different things that maybe each school may need. So it's like, okay, you know what? And, you know, let's make sure we're sitting down understanding those needs to better suit you as the partner that we're working with. So then when it comes to the students, it's less of a push and pull and it's establishing trust within the ecosystems that have already been created. This is a great jumping off point for where I'd like to take us next. And especially centering the voice and experience and perspective of the young people who are experiencing this, right? So how do we create a system that is not being done to young people, but that young people are participating in, right? This is a story that they're, they're living, you know, but ultimately at some point in time, failure is going to come into play. Uh, And all of a sudden we've got young people's lived experience in our hands, right? So we have some responsibility here. 
and we care deeply about getting it right. But we know that in navigating change, we're going to run into things that don't work. And maybe we could go back to the district perspective first on this. You know, Emily, is there a story or an experience you can recall where, you know, where you got something wrong? Like where there's a sort of an epic fail and what did you learn from that? And how did it actually change your approach? Yeah, absolutely. Mark and I may tag team this one a little bit. In Denver Public Schools, every school is like its own little ecosystem community and has its own kind of way of doing things, which is great. Um, And principals really have the agency for that. So one of the initial hurdles I think that we had to overcome was scheduling. Like, how do we actually make this work where we can have students at a workplace during the school day, have them receive enough hours for that, have it be meaningful enough for the business, but also make sure that they are in enough classes to actually obtain their diploma. We never want this program to get in the way of a student accomplishing that. Before we really had a collaborative approach between the school district, between the intermediary and between the business. We were missing out on points where we could really intervene and and support a student earlier when we when we should have known that they were kind of struggling with something or when they couldn't really there is too much for them to manage. And so one experience I think that all point to just from the education side and a student we worked with very closely you know, it's the first year of an apprenticeship is the hardest. We always say it's the, it's the hardest year um, for various reasons. Like students really blossom and they grow and students are really like hit hard with a new schedule, uh, new social life, new responsibilities. Like how do I manage my time? How do I do all of these things? How do I even communicate that I'm struggling and that I might need help and that, you know, this might be too hard for me? So with one of our students all of the other responsibilities that he had going on um, outside of the apprenticeship really rose to the top. Um, And those are sometimes those are things that we don't have all of the control over. But I think there were points where we could have probably intervened earlier in the process and potentially given more support, more guidance, more structure, um, more leniency. And so that was one thing I think one way we pivoted was we, again, we never wanted to get in the way of um, other responsibilities in their life. I'm happy to kind of elaborate from the business perspective on these circumstances, too. And I think Emily did a great job of uh, providing an overview there. You know, we did struggle just logistically. And, and what that translated into is there were times where our apprentices as a result of kind of these local controls and schedule modifications on campus, all of the sudden a day that they were scheduled to work, now they had a final and a key deliverable at work do at the same time. And so they had to make a very difficult choice, often with not much leeway on what that prioritization would be. And and, and we didn't want to internally undermine the value of the apprenticeship because frankly, our team was kind of doing an internal sales pitch on, hey, here's what an apprentice can bring to your team. And the last thing we wanted to do was uh, put our, our business leaders in a place where the apprentice wasn't able to kind of come through on some of the support. But we also wanted to, as Emily mentioned, we want to make sure that first and foremost, educational attainment is at the top of the list as far as prioritization. So we have been able to navigate schedules. We 
our initial model was a Tuesday, Thursday, full day model. Um, that worked well with most of our DPS schools. But what we've modified to is an afternoon model. And so now our apprentices come in each afternoon. There's still ways that schools can navigate that. And that offers a lot more continuity um, for our program. So I think we've, we've learned a lot. The other thing that I would say from the business perspective that I think we've learned, and I've certainly learned in my career, is that business moves fast. It's very responsive to the ecosystem. And when you're trying to establish architecture that has a three-year trajectory and it's very rigid, that can become super problematic. So I get one example along those lines. We had a pathway that we were really honing in a registered apprenticeship model on we felt like was a perfect place to deploy this strategy. And about two quarters into launching the program, it was decided that through some efficiency strategies, that position would actually be removed out of our ecosystem. And we had done hours of work on establishing this and we had actually hired apprentices to kind of go in that direction. But what happened is it actually helped us evolve a little bit more of a resilient model that still ensured that we were maintaining the quality and the standards that we needed, but gave us a bit more flexibility so that we were agile and able to be responsive to the business and ensure we were meeting talent need and positioning our apprentices for the positions that were in most demand. Obina, wondering if you can speak to this a little bit at the intersection of this, right? Your role and how you go about helping partners on the education and industry side to bring an intentionality to the design of their approach what are the conversations you really try to help people have at the onset of these experiences so that we can really center the lived experience of the young people who will go through it from the design standpoint, as opposed to the, how do we fix this on the back end? Yeah, definitely. You know, a system built on relationships. I think that's kind of where to start off at. And again, going what we talked about in terms of the adoption is understanding, you know, how each business and system works in general. Because what we do is we just take these lessons and try to work on scaling them up and out. In the recruitment side, where I live in, is it's like, okay, well, how are we having conversations sooner? I mean, saying like, hey, this is when it occurs and this is who you'll be working with. You know, this is how you connect self-advocacy. So putting in some of those key words just in the recruitment side so that they're hearing it from jump. And then it's even a matter of when we're bringing on new businesses, you know, our, our, our business partnerships team, they really make sure that they talk to the business and understand like, hey, we're all about prioritizing education attainment, you know, like Emily said, and that is going to be our first goal. And then moving over to everything else. So creating that pipeline, understanding what's going on, applying these across not just the state, but nationally. So when we understand what some of the, what's going on, we're able to then change what we do in career-wise um, in terms of what our support looks like, even after the student has been hired. And then, you know, then moving on to the business, when we're connecting with the businesses initially, how do you create mentorship? How do you make sure that supervisors are going to training um, that we provide both on the student level and the supervisor business level? So really making sure that when we hear what's may not be working or isn't fitting really well, we say, okay, on career-wise side, what can we do to circumnavigate that a little bit? Thank you. So Abina would love to continue right where you left off there. You have a focal point in Denver, across the state of Colorado, and also CareerWise has a national footprint. You know, when you look out at where the field is now and the types of changes that need to be put in place, I'm curious, what would you say is the biggest opportunity for systems change 
from your vantage point um, in this intermediary space? Yeah, I think system change is tough and it can be tough. You know, like we started this from the very beginning, it's changing the mindset of how we view what we thought apprenticeship was and or is. Going into conversations, going into the state level and helping the state level understand like, hey, if we implement these opportunities or get the knowledge out there sooner rather than later, we understand that the system right now is honestly made to just serve one type of student. Um, the student you can afford and navigate and have support going to go straight from high school to college and then to their career. It doesn't work for everybody. And so it's like, how do we make sure that, especially when it comes to students of color, first generation students, how do we make sure that we're, what we're creating in a foundation supports, no matter what track you want to go down, we're making that happen. So being able to move between high school and college coursework and career building fluidly. And I think that's what the goal is, is like, how do we create that fluidity between all three of these ecosystems that we have? There's not just one way. There's multiple ways when it comes to education, when it comes to understanding a career, not just a job, but a career. Mark, would love to bring you into that. From your vantage point, then, what's the opportunity for employers to engage in this broader conversation and work? I think we're now meeting this maturity in the ecosystem where we have proof of concept and we're starting to see some incredible outcomes from our participants. And so I think for those practitioners that are in this space, providing opportunities to consolidate and share best practices and have open dialogue that maybe mitigate some preconceived notions around barrier to entry and sort of the overhead that's required to participate. Because I think it serves our entire business community to have mechanisms that reach all communities to ensure that talent from all pockets of the Denver metro area or the Colorado, the state of Colorado, or even our nation have on roads to middle skills careers that support individuals and families as well as support our business climate. It's good for all of us. It's healthy for all of us. So I think having that space to share these best practices, you know, finding ways to support participation and consolidating resources to ensure that there are multiple seats at the table that do reach multiple communities that ensure that they have a reflective workforce. And I think that's our vision here. But there's just a paradigm shift around what this will entail and how much investment it will require. And I think, frankly, even for students and families too, an apprenticeship is still a very foreign concept. So I think helping families understand um, to Abina's point that this is a fluid environment and you're not mortgaging educational attainment by taking an apprenticeship. In many cases, you know, you can actually go through an apprenticeship, get hired by an organization and then leverage tuition reimbursement to get a degree in a pathway that you already have experience. Education coupled with experience is the best possible case scenario for employers and for young people seeking opportunities. Emily, what about from your vantage point and what you've learned over time and your collaboration with Mark and Abina and others? What's the big opportunity in front of, of school districts right now? Yeah, I think, uh, and we were kind of talking about this earlier, you know, we can't go at it alone. It really requires everybody that's here, everybody that literally is willing to be at the table, having, you know, education, business partners, everybody kind of meeting each other halfway, I think is huge. You know, in terms of change, we were also just looking at 
in a post-pandemic world, um, increased graduation requirements for our students, catching our students up, um, all of those things. Like, how can we really integrate this vision and this model of work-based learning or career-connected learning? And students receive either academic credit for that and or um, college level credit for the type of the work that they are doing just outside of the classroom. That's something that um, our department is really charged with. I work a lot in, in, with internships um, as well. And so can we do kind of like an internship to apprenticeship model where everybody gets a little bit of a taste and see if they like it? And so we're kind of exploring that uh, that model as well, just to just to get more students in the door and and to have apprenticeships be more approachable for them as well. And then, you know, our team, we're with the students every day. So we kind of see what are the trends that they're interested in? Like, what do they want to do? Making sure we're not building a system um, for them, but that they are an active participant in in what they want to see, what the type of opportunities they want to see. And make, making sure we're meeting them, you know, where they are so that we can ensure equitable access for all of them. Um, and lastly, just as Mark said, families need to be, you know, we need to, they need to be just as educated on these opportunities as all of us here as well. Well, Emily, Obina, Mark, thank you for your time and for joining to tell this collective story about your work and its impact. It's been a real pleasure talking with you all today. And thank you for your partnership on the ground. Uh, and for these stories that others will get to benefit from. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Our partners today talked about their work as a journey, which I think is a really helpful frame anytime we embark on something new. We've got to be open to change and curious about possibility as we take on work to center equity in the design of a system. As they shared, things don't always match your initial vision. Challenges arise that you could never have anticipated. And it takes all of us moving together in the same direction with intentionality to make change work. It was also powerful that each of our guests spoke to the balance of helping adults navigate change while prioritizing positive experiences and the needs of youth. And how even as we navigate shifting waters, we can remain oriented to our goal of equity and improving the quality of our education and workforce systems so that they work in service of the young people engaged in them. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to learn more about the collaboration between Denver Public Schools, CareerWise, and Pinnacle Assurance, and more broadly, about partnerships between educators and employers in youth apprenticeship. In our next episode, we'll focus on what it looks like to notice, cultivate, and elevate the champions we need to establish and sustain equitable pathways systems. Thanks for listening to Building Equitable Pathways, brought to you by JFF. Together, we're driving transformation of the American workforce and education systems to achieve equitable economic advancement for all. To learn more about Building Equitable Pathways and our coalition of partners, visit us online at jff.org. And we want to hear from you and have you join the conversation. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And tune in for our next episode. This is Kyle Hartung from JFF, signing off until next time.